How y'all doing there? So I'd like to thank y'all for stopping by for another episode of this Removing the Illusion Pod Talk here, man. Look at here. Now y'all know always before I get into what I'm going to talk about, I always tell y'all first what I'm smoking on. And tonight, I'm trying something new. I'm trying a, a Room 101 Big Payback Maduro. Let me tell you, this is going to be the first time I've smoked one of these things here. You at the cigar spot tonight. Ross had a sale. It looked like he had a sale on on some cigars, you know. Probably, you know, probably some older stock that they want to run through. Had a pretty good deal on these sticks here. Now, one thing I know about that Rod cigar, he don't sell no junk. He got a lot of boutique cigars, a lot of stuff that a lot of folks ain't got. Even you go online, a lot of stuff you can't find online. But Rod keeps he keeps a lot of good stock of some good cigars. And he had he had this nice little sale going on. And what I like about these cigars, they're only about five inches. So they're a, so a, they're a good cigar for like if you're driving in a car going somewhere, like them fellas, they be right on the motorcycles. Or if you're taking, you know, taking a walk down the street somewhere and you want to smoke on a good little stick, but you don't want to waste no, you know, nine, $10, $15 cigar. You know, you just want something short and short and sweet that you probably can, you know, discard, you know, without having to worry about the price point. You know, it was only $5 here tonight because it was a good deal. It was a good deal. At least I thought it was. So I bought me a couple of them to put in my humidor, you know, just for some of them short drives I got up. Those times when I just want to, you know, get go out of my garage and, you know, only got maybe an hour to spend smoking a little good stick. So I dad smoke me one of these here. So this is going to be the first time I tried this, uh, this uh, Room 101 Big Payback Maduro. It's a nice stick. And if you go on my website, a lot of these cigars I be talking about, if you go to my, my website, you know, not iTunes or some of them other platforms that you may find my cigar on. If you go to jp1ave.com slash WP and put and press that press press that enter button, it'll take you right to my direct website. And you know what I hate sometimes? I hate sometimes when people be giving out their website, they give it out so fast. And, you ain't, and I don't know what they're giving out for because they ain't like you remember all that stuff. They say they have to have them no long um, uh, uh, dot com website names. Expect you to be, you know, to, to listen real quick and remember all that job. People don't. I try to keep my little websites, you know, short and simple. So y'all go to jp1ave.com slash WP. And y'all check out some of these cigars that I got, these, these, these images I got. So when y'all go to y'all little cigar spot and y'all ordering y'all cigars, y'all know what they look like, what I'm talking about. So and this, and, uh, and I'm going to tell y'all here, you know, something about this uh, Room 101 Big Payback Maduro. I'm going to tell y'all what these people say first. Now, I can't tell y'all what I think about it because I haven't smoked it yet. Because I don't smoke inside my house. But, but I'm going to tell y'all what these people say here. Now, what these people say here, they say it's a delicious Connecticut broadleaf wrapper. This dark and oily leaf is laid over Connecticut shade binder and fillers from Honduras, Nicaragua, and the Dominican Republic. The medium full body. Now, I like that part right there. It's a medium to full body. Spicy flavor profile will have you sitting up and paying attention, but still exhibit smooth notes of cream, leather, and cocoa to make for a truly relaxing and interesting experience. Now that they go with all them old flavors and stuff like that. But like I say, I really can't give y'all my opinion of what I think about it. But these folks just say it's a pretty good cigar. Now when I left the cigar spot, I even asked Roz, 
you know, because, you know, because he had a lot of assortment in there. And some of them had them Connecticut leaves. I really don't like them Connecticut leaves because they mostly are mild. To me, they're mostly mild. Connecticut leaves is like those light brown. You know, I usually don't like them. So I asked Roz, you know, you pick out something good in there and I'm going to do a wrapper. And he picked out this one, uh, uh, 101. And uh, had a couple fellas in there, they kind of co-signed too. And my man John, I asked John, because John be knowing about them cigars too. And John said it's a pretty good little stick here. So I'm going to try tonight here, I'm going to try this uh, Room 101, you know, big payback Maduro. <laughs> I'm going to try this stick here. And look, like I tell y'all, y'all y'all support y'all local cigar spot first. Then y'all go online and y'all get all them bulk to build up your union doors, some of them sales that they have, like on Holtz and CI. Because uh, tonight here, directly, you know, I think it's the last day, you know, to go, <coughs> excuse me, I think this is the last day to go online and get those master blend, you know, master blend number three, you know, in the five inch. I want to get some of those too. So tonight, the last day, I'm going to go online, I'm going I'm to get some of them before that sale in on those. <coughs> excuse me, I ain't got the coronavirus. I just been needing some chocolate covered almonds. You know, I probably need to leave them chocolate-covered armors alone, especially before I get ready to do a little pie talk here. But the little night little pie talk here, it ain't going to be much commentary from them. I'm telling y'all right now. There ain't going to be much commentary. Because I want y'all to listen to this thing here, and I want y'all to listen real good, then I want y'all to play it back and listen to it real good again. It don't need a whole lot of filler from me. <coughs> Man, the armors. Don't need a lot of filling from me. With a whole lot of talking and swacking over. But this is just something that I, <clears throat> that I was interested in. Because like I say, I've been watching a few things and listening to a few things on some folks. And then <coughs> man, y'all excuse me. <coughs> but coughing is all a part of life. So I'm not gonna go back and edit this out. <coughs> Alright. But I've been doing a little research on some folks. Matter of fact, I was watching TV. I was watching TV and this investigative lady, she said, if you want to find out about somebody, you got to go back to their history. You got to take a historical look at them. <clears throat> Not just them, but their parents and where they came from. And oftentimes, a person is like the way they is, it's because of their parents, of their history, their background. So, a lot of people are talking about our 45th President Trump. Now, a lot of people don't really know about where Trump came from or Trump parents and all that kind of stuff like that. I know I didn't. We can look at a man and we can call <coughs> we can look at a man and we can call him a racist. We can call him <coughs> a man. We can call him a racist, we can call him a shyster. We can give all these people all these kind of names. But I don't like calling people something that I don't really know nothing about. So I went back and did my own little personal look back at Trump, but not just our field fifth president. I wanted to take a look at his grandparents as far as back as I can take a look. Because a lot of times a man is shaped by his past. So I want to know about this man's past before I can judge him and understand it. And I found out a lot of interesting things about him. Some things that I admired, not him, but about his grandparents, his parent and his grandparent that I really do admire. Now, I saw, well, I've seen a whole lot of ugly stuff, too. There's a whole lot of ugly stuff in all of our past. You see what I'm saying? So, what I want to do, like I said again, I'm not going to be much commentary on the end of this little talk. 
I just want to, I, I just, I just, I just want to bring y'all to some of the stuff that I researched and I looked at. Give you a little bit more background of your prisoner. So we set up that talking, right? You, you, you kind of know a little bit about where all is coming from. A lot of interesting things. Very lot of interesting things. A lot of ties to some very important people in history. Did a lot of, did a lot of things. You know, you kind of tell the way this man is, you know, by his past and by his grandparents and by him. Now, I know I'm kind of rambling a whole lot because I'm, I'm almost on that edge. I want to get off into one of my little talks and my little rants, but like I say, I'm not going to do this for this one. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to flip this little thing, hit switch, and I'm going to let y'all listen to this little talk here on our 45th president, Trump. We're going to take a historical look at the family of Trump. And y'all can see how the man, what molded the man into the man he is today and why he do some of the things that he do, why he states some of the things that he say, why he act the way he act, and where his, where his philosophy came from. And like I say, you know, man, I kind of admire some of the things his grandpappy did, you know. I really do. Can't get off into it right now because I want y'all to listen to it. And I kind of see a lot of things. So right now, I want to shed my mouth up. And I'm going to let y'all listen to this historical look at our 45th president. And I'm going to go out on my little front porch out there. And I'm going to smoke on this Room 101 Big Payback Maduro. All right? Y'all get off into it. After this old wit, I'll probably say a few of the words. But I ain't going to say too much. Cause I want I want, I want it to marinate in y'all head. And I want you to go back and listen to it again. All right? All right. I'll catch up with y'all on the flip side. All right now. Frederick Trump. 19. 18. Born. 14 of March, 1869. Kallstadt, Kingdom of Bavaria. Died, 30 of May 1918 at the, May 30th, 1918, aged of 49. Woodhaven, Queens, New York, United States. Cause of death, 1918 influenza pandemic. Citizenship, Bavarian American. Occupation, barber and operator of restaurants and brothels. Spouse, Elizabeth Christ, died, 1902. Children, Elizabeth, Fred, and John. Parent, Christian Johannes Trump, and Katharina Kober. Family, Trump. Frederick Trump, born Friedrich Trump, 14 of March 1836, to 30 of May 1918, was a German, American businessman and the patriarch of the Trump family. Born in Kallstadt, in the Kingdom of Bavaria, now in Rhineland-Palatinate, Germany, he immigrated to the United States at the age of 16 and started working as a barber. Several years later, in 1891, he moved to the Northwest. He made his fortune by operating a restaurant and a brothel in Canada. He later returned to Kallstadt and married Elizabeth Christ. Bavarian authorities accused him of emigrating when he was too young to avoid fulfilling his military service, so he lost his Bavarian citizenship. Trump and his family returned to the United States. He became a U.S. citizen in 1892. Trump worked as a barber and hotel manager, and began to acquire real estate in Queens. He was the father of Frederick C. Trump and John G. Trump, and paternal grandfather of the 45th U.S. President Donald J. Trump. Early Life Friedrich Trump was born in Kallstadt, Palatinate, then part of the Kingdom of Bavaria, now located in modern-day Germany, to Christian Johannes Trump, 1829-1877, and Katharina Kober, 1836-1922. Confessionally, the village was Protestant in contrast to the Bavarian mainland which was overwhelmingly Catholic. Trump's earliest known male ancestor is Johann Philipp Trumpfeet, 1667-1707, who had married Juliana Maria Rodenroth. 
Drumfeet's parents or place of birth aren't recorded. Johann Philipp Drumfeet and his wife had a son, Johann Sebastian Trump, 1699-1756. Johann Sebastian's son Johann Paul Trump, 1727-1792, was born in Bobenheim, Amberg. The first link to Kallstadt can be established for Johann Sebastian's grandson Johannes Trump, 1789-1836, who was born in Bobenheim, Amberg and married in Kallstadt, where he also died. The Palatinate, then a relatively impoverished region, has been known for its viticulture since the Roman Empire. From 1816 to 1918, when Bavaria became the free state of Bavaria, the Palatinate was part of the Kingdom of Bavaria. In 1871, Bavaria became a part of the newly formed German Empire. During periods of war and anti-German discrimination in the United States, Trump's son Fred later denied his German heritage, claiming his father had been a Swede from Karlstad, Sweden. This version was repeated by Fred's son Donald in his 1987 autobiography. After being sick with emphysema for 10 years, Trump's father, Christian Johannes, died on July 6, 1877, at the age of 48, leaving the family in severe debt from medical expenses. While five of the six children worked in the family grape fields, Friedrich was considered too sickly to endure such hard labor. In 1883, then aged 14, he was sent to nearby Frankenthal by his mother to work as a barber's apprentice and learn the trade. Trump worked seven days a week for two and a half years under barber Friedrich Lang. After completing his apprenticeship, he returned to Kallstadt, a village with about 1,000 inhabitants. He quickly discovered there was not enough business to earn a living. He was also approaching the age of eligibility for conscription to military service in the Imperial German Army. He quickly decided to emigrate to the United States, later saying, I agreed with my mother that I should go to America. Years later, his family members said that he departed secretly at night, leaving his mother a note. As a result of fleeing mandatory conscription required of all citizens a royal decree was later issued banishing him from the country. Immigration to the United States In 1885, at age 16, Trump immigrated via Bremen, Germany, to the United States aboard the steamship Eider, departing on October 7 and arriving at the Castle Garden Emigrant Landing Depot in New York City on October 19. As he had not yet served the mandatory military duty of two years in the Kingdom of Bavaria, this emigration was against Bavarian law. U.S. immigration records list his name as Friedrich Trump and his occupation as none. He moved in with his older sister Katharina, who had emigrated in 1883, and her husband Fred Schuster, also from Kallstadt. Only a few hours after arriving, he met a German-speaking barber who was looking for an employee, and began working the following day. He worked as a barber for six years. Trump lived with his relatives on the Lower East Side of Manhattan in a neighborhood with many Palatine German immigrants, at 76 Forsyth Street. Because the cost of operating at 76 Forsyth Street was getting expensive, they later moved to 606 East 17th Street and to 2012 2nd Avenue. In 1891, Trump moved to Seattle, in the newly admitted U.S. state of Washington. With his life savings of several hundred dollars, he bought the Poodle Dog, which he renamed the Dairy Restaurant, and supplied it with new tables, chairs, and a range. Located at 208 Washington Street the Dairy Restaurant was in the middle of Seattle's Pioneer Square, Washington Street was nicknamed The Line and included an assortment of saloons, casinos, and brothels. Biographer Gwenda Blair called it a hotbed of sex, booze, and money, it was the indisputable center of the action in Seattle. The restaurant served food and liquor and was advertised to include rooms for ladies, a common euphemism for prostitution. Trump lived in Seattle until early 1893 and voted in Washington's first presidential election in 1892, after becoming a U.S. citizen. On February 14, 1894, 
Trump sold the dairy restaurant, and in March, he moved to the emerging mining town of Monte Cristo, Washington in Snohomish County north of Seattle. After evidence of mineral deposits had been discovered in 1889, Monte Cristo was expected to produce a fortune in gold and silver. Many prospectors moved to the area in hopes of becoming rich. Rumors about financial investments by millionaire John D. Rockefeller in the entire Everett area created an exaggerated expectation of the area's potential. Before leaving Seattle, Trump bought 40 acres, 16 ha, in the Pine Lake Plateau, 12 miles, 19 kilometers, east of the city, for $200, which was the first major real estate purchase of the Trump family. In Monte Cristo, Trump chose a plot of land near the later train station that he wanted to build a hotel on, but could not afford the $1,000 per acre fee to purchase it. Instead, he filed a gold placer claim on the land, which allowed him to claim exclusive mineral rights to the land without having to pay for it, even though the land had already been claimed by Everett resident Nicholas Rudbeck. At that time, the U.S. land office was known to be corrupt and frequently allowed such multiple claims. Despite the placer's claim providing Trump no right to build any structure on the land, he quickly bought lumber to build a new boarding house and operate it similarly to the dairy restaurant. He never tried to mine gold on the land. Blair described Trump as mining the miners since they needed a place to sleep at night while they were mining. In July 1894, Rudbeck filed to incorporate the land and sent an agent to collect rent, this was apparently unsuccessful since the people of Monte Cristo did not pay attention to legal titles. Trump finally bought the land in December 1894. While in Monte Cristo, Trump was elected in 1896 as Justice of the Peace by a 32-5 margin. Years of mining had revealed that there was not nearly as much gold and silver in Monte Cristo as had once been believed, and in August 1894, Rockefeller pulled out of most of his investment in the area, creating the Everett bubble burst. By the spring of 1896, most of the miners had left Monte Cristo. Trump suffered both from a shortage of workers and reduced business, although he had been one of the few people to make money in Monte Cristo. Trump prepared for the bubble burst by funding two miners in the Yukon, Canada in exchange for them staking a claim for him. In July 1897, the Klondike gold rush began after boats loaded with gold arrived in San Francisco and Seattle. Thousands of people rushed to the area in hopes of making a fortune. Trump sold off most of his property in Monte Cristo a few weeks later and moved back to Seattle. In Seattle, Trump opened a new restaurant at 207 Cherry Street. Business was so good that he paid off the mortgage in four weeks. Meanwhile, on July 7, the two miners whom Trump had funded staked his claim at Hunker Creek, a tributary of the Klondike. After spending $15 to register the claim, they sold half of it for $400 the next day. A week later, another miner sold it for $1,000. On September 20, they staked a second claim, at Deadwood Creek. Half of it was sold in October for $150, while the other half was sold in December for $2,000. It is, however, unknown if Trump ever received any money from there. By early 1898, he had made enough money to go to the Yukon himself. He bought all the necessary supplies, sold off his remaining properties in Monte Cristo and Seattle, and transferred his 40 acres in the Pine Lake Plateau to his sister Louise. In 1900, Louise sold the property for $250. In the winter following Trump's departure from Monte Cristo, the town suffered some of the worst avalanches and floods in its short history, and this time, Rockefeller refused to reconstruct the almost vital railroad to Everett. According to Blair's account, when Trump left for the Yukon, he had no plans to do actual mining. He likely traveled the White Pass route, which included the notorious Dead Horse Trail, so named because drivers whipped animals of transport until they literally dropped dead on the trail and were left to decompose. 
In the spring of 1898, Trump and another miner named Ernest Levin opened a tent restaurant along the trail. Blair writes that a frequent dish was fresh slaughtered, quick frozen horse. In May 1898, Trump and Levin moved to Bennett, British Columbia, a town known for prospectors building boats in order to travel to Dawson. In Bennett, Trump and Levin opened the Arctic Restaurant and Hotel, which offered fine dining, lodging, and sex in a sea of tents. The Arctic was also originally housed in a tent, but demand for the hotel and restaurant grew until it occupied a two-story building. A letter to the Yukon Sun newspaper described the Arctic. For single men the Arctic has excellent accommodations as well as the best restaurant in Bennett, but I would not advise respectable women to go there to sleep as they are liable to hear that which would be repugnant to their feelings, and uttered, too, by the depraved of their own sex. The Arctic House was one of the largest and most extravagant restaurants in that region of the Klondike, offering fresh fruit and ptarmigan in addition to the staple of horse meat. The Arctic was open 24 hours a day and advertised rooms for ladies, which included beds and scales for measuring gold dust. The local Canadian Mounties were known to tolerate vice so long as it was conducted discreetly. In 1900, the 111-mile, 179 kilometers, White Pass and Yukon route, a railroad between Skagway, Alaska and Whitehorse, Yukon, was completed. Trump founded the Whitehorse Restaurant and Inn in Whitehorse. They moved the building by barge, relocated on Front Street, and were operational by June. The new restaurant, which included one of the largest steel ranges in the area, prepared 3,000 meals per day and had space for gambling. Despite the enormous financial success, Trump and Levin began fighting due to Levin's drinking. They broke up their business relationship in February 1901, but reconciled in April. Around that time, the local government announced the suppression of prostitution, gambling, and liquor, though the crackdown was delayed by businessmen until later that year. In light of this impending threat to his business operation, Trump sold his share of the restaurant to Levin and left the Yukon. In the months that followed, Levin was arrested for public drunkenness and sent to jail, and the Arctic was taken over by the Mounties. The restaurant burned down in the White Horse Fire of 1905. Blair wrote that once again, in a situation that created many losers, Frederick Trump managed to emerge a winner. This year was pretty interesting, on May 23, 1905, a small fire in the barber shop of the Windsor Hotel got out of control when the fire engine ran out of water, spreading throughout the city and causing $300,000 in damage, though no lives were lost. Robert Service was working as a bank teller at the time and participated in suppressing the flame. The White Horse Restaurant and Inn was among the buildings destroyed, after its co-founder Frederick Trump, the grandfather of Donald Trump, had sold his shares and left the city. Funny how Frederick Trump was always ahead of the game, never taking AL. You have to respect his hustle. Once again, in a situation that created many losers, Frederick Trump managed to emerge a winner. Now, let's take a look at his marriage and family. Trump returned to Colstott in 1901 as a wealthy man. Biographer Blair said that the business of seeing to his customers' need for food, drink, and female companionship had been good to him. He quickly met and proposed to Elizabeth Christ, 1880-1966, the daughter of a former neighbor, she was 11 years younger than Trump, now we see where our 45th get his appreciation for younger girls. Trump's mother disapproved of Christ because she considered her family to be of a lower social class. Trump and Christ married on August 26, 1902, and moved to New York City. In New York, Trump found work as a barber and a restaurant and hotel manager. The couple lived at 1006 Westchester Avenue in the German-speaking Morrisania neighborhood of the Bronx. Their daughter Elizabeth was born on April 30, 1904. In May 1904, when Trump applied in New York for a U.S. passport to travel with his wife and his daughter, 
he listed his profession as hotel keeper. Due to Elizabeth Sr. extreme homesickness, the family returned to Germany later that year. In Germany, Trump deposited into a bank his life savings of 80,000 marks, equivalent to $538,245 in 2019. Soon after the family arrived in Germany, Bavarian authorities determined that Trump had emigrated from Germany to avoid his military service obligations, and he was classified as a draft dodger. On December 24, 1904 the Department of Interior announced an investigation to banish Trump from Germany. Officially, they found that he had violated the resolution of the Royal Ministry of the Interior No. 9916 and 1886 law that punished emigration to North America to avoid military service with the loss of Bavarian and thus German citizenship. In February 1905, a royal decree was issued ordering Trump to leave within eight weeks due to having emigrated to evade military service and failing to register his departure with the authorities. For several months, Trump petitioned the government to allow him to stay but he was unsuccessful. He and his family returned to New York on June 30, 1905. Their son Fred was born on October 11, 1905, in the Bronx, New York, this was our 45th president father. The family lived at 539 East 177th Street. In 1907, their second son, John, was born. Later that year the family moved to Woodhaven, Queens. While living in Queens, Trump opened a barber shop at 60 Wall Street in Manhattan. Later Life and Death of Frederick Trump, Our 45th President Grandfather In 1908, Trump bought real estate on Jamaica Avenue in Woodhaven. Two years later, he moved his family into the building on the land, renting out several rooms. He also worked as a hotel manager at the Medallion Hotel on 6th Avenue and 23rd Street. Trump intended to continue buying more land, but during World War I, he kept a low profile because of anti-German feelings in the U.S. due to the war. German-born citizens came under suspicion. The family story of his death is that on May 29, 1918, while walking with his son Fred, our 45th president father, Trump suddenly felt extremely sick and was rushed to bed. The next day, he was dead. What was first diagnosed as pneumonia turned out to be one of the early cases of the Spanish flu, which caused millions of deaths around the world. At his death his net holdings included a two-story, seven-room home in Queens, five vacant lots, $4,000 in savings, $3,600 in stocks, and 14 mortgages. Altogether his net worth was $31,359, which was, $528,831 in 2019 dollars. His wife and son Fred continued his real estate projects under the Elizabeth Trump and son moniker. Earlier recorded surnames, Trump and Trump. U.S. immigration records from October 1885 list his name as Frieder. Trump. An early recorded appearance of the name Trump appears 25 years later in the 1910 United States Census records. In her book The Trumps, American biographer Gwenda Blair mentions a Hans Trump who settled in Kallstadt in 1608 and whose descendants changed their name from Trump to Trump during the Thirty Years' War. In a 2015 interview with Deutsche Welle, Blair said that Trump's grandfather was named Friedrich Trump. According to the Transportation Association in Kallstadt, Trump was indeed the original spelling of the family's surname. However, According to them it had been changed during the reign of Napoleon around the turn of the 19th century, and was not used by Frederick Trump. Fact-checking website Snopes finds confirmation of the family name having once been Trump, but notes confusion regarding when exactly this happened. Now, let's take a look at John G. Trump, and the Tesla connection. The uncle of our current 45th president. Born, John George Trump, August 21, 1907. New York City, New York, U.S. Died. 
February 21, 1985, February 21, 1985, age 77, Boston, Massachusetts, U.S. Education, Polytechnic Institution of Brooklyn, B.S. Columbia University, M.S., and Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Ph.D. Known for, Van de Graaff Generator, Electron Beam Sterilization of Wastewater. Children, 3. Awards, King's Medal for Service, 1947, President's Certificate, 1948, Lamb Medal, 1960. National Medal of Science, 1983. Fields, Physics. Institutions, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. John George Trump, August 21, 1907 to February 21, 1985, was an American electrical engineer, inventor, and physicist. A professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology from 1936 to 1973, he was a recipient of the National Medal of Science and a member of the National Academy of Engineering. John Trump was noted for developing rotational radiation therapy. Together with Robert J. Van de Graaff, he developed one of the first million-volt X-ray generators. He was the paternal uncle of President Donald Trump. Early life of John George Trump, uncle of our 45th president. Trump was the youngest of three children and the second son of German immigrants Frederick Trump and Elizabeth Christ Trump. He was born in New York City on August 21, 1907. John's brother, Fred, joined their mother in real estate development and management while still in his teens, Elizabeth Trump and son. Initially, John and his brother tried working together building houses, but ultimately they dissolved their partnership, and John pursued a career in electrical engineering. Trump received his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from the New York University Tandon School of Engineering, then Polytechnic Institute of Brooklyn, in 1929, his master's degree in physics from Columbia University, and his doctorate of electrical engineering from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, in 1933. He was a professor at MIT from 1936 until 1973. War Service During World War II, Trump switched from work on hospital X-ray machines to research into similar technologies, especially the development of radar. During 1940, he joined the newly formed National Defense Research Committee, NDRC, as technical aide to Carl Compton, president of MIT and the chairman of the radar division. During 1942, Trump became secretary of the Microwave Committee, a subcommittee of the NDRC. The director of the Microwave Committee was Alfred Lee Loomis, the millionaire physicist, who decided to create a laboratory. He selected a site for it, chose a suitably discreet and ambiguous name for it and funded the construction, until the federal administration was established. The new institution was the MIT Radiation Laboratory, or the Rad Lab. The British were also researching radar, which they termed Radio Direction Finder, RDF, and had started much earlier. Their desert mission to the US showed how much more sophisticated they were with some of the technologies, particularly the magnetron. The U.S. decided to send a team to Britain to help coordinate the efforts of the two allies. The unit was known as the British Branch of the Radiation Laboratory, BBRL, and operated as a department of Britain's Telecommunications Research Establishment, TRAE, at Malvern, in Worcestershire. Note. Another fun fact you may have missed. The U.S. decided to send a team to Britain to help coordinate the efforts of the two allies. Do you know what that mean? The U.S. sent a team over there to find out how much the British had learned and catch up on the technology. Or should I say? Spy. Just my opinion and not the facts. Okay, let's continue with early life of John George Trump, uncle of our 45th president. In early 1943, two days after the death of Nikola Tesla, 
the Federal Bureau of Investigation ordered the alien property custodian to seize Tesla's belongings. Trump was called in to analyze the Tesla items, which were being held in custody. After a three-day investigation, Trump's report concluded that there was nothing which would constitute a hazard in unfriendly hands. Note. Another fun fact you may have missed. Trump's report concluded that there was nothing which would constitute a hazard in unfriendly hands. Do you what that meant? Everything of value was scrubbed, confiscated, and copied, with only the unimportant stuff remaining, like how to feed pigeons. So, if any enemies get their hands on any of these Tesla documents, it would only show them how to pimp a pigeon. Okay, let's continue with early life of John George Trump, uncle of our 45th president. From February 1944 to the end of the war in Europe, Trump was the director of the BBRL. During this time, Trump also served in the advisory specialist group on radar, advising USAF General Karl Spatz on navigational radar, precision bombing radar, and also defenses against the German radars found in their night fighters and in their flak units. The systems included, G, Oboe, Loren, H2X, Mu and SCR-584. Trump worked with all the most important British radar experts, including Sir Robert Watson Watt, A.P. Rowe, and Bernard Lovell. At the end of the war, Trump also had interviews with Germany's main radar technicians. Trump received recognition for his war work partnership from both the United States and the United Kingdom. Note. Another fun fact you may have missed. Trump also had interviews with Germany's main radar technicians. Do you know what that mean? Trump interrogated them for information on their radar systems, probably by waterboarding them. Just kidding. Okay, let's continue with early life of John George Trump, uncle of our 45th president. Family. John G. Trump is a member of the Trump family. He married Elora Sauerbrunn, 1913-1983, and they had three children, the late John Gordon Trump, 1938-2012, of Watertown, Massachusetts, Christine Philp of New London, New Hampshire, and Karen Ingram of Los Alamos, New Mexico, and six grandchildren. Trump's nephew, Donald Trump, has been President of the United States since 2016. Later Life During 1946 Trump, Robert J. Van de Graaff, and Dennis M. Robinson initiated the High Voltage Engineering Corporation, HVEC, to produce Van de Graaff generators. He returned to MIT to teach and direct research for three decades after the war. He directed the MIT High Voltage Research Laboratory from 1946 to 1980. Some of his research at MIT concentrated on treating wastewater. He researched using an electron beam from a high voltage accelerator as the deactivating agent in the treatment of municipal wastewater sludge. The High Voltage Research Laboratory developed a prototype system that was tested at one of Boston's wastewater treatment plants and it was able to provide bacterial and viral disinfection via continuous online treatment. Trump died in Boston on February 21, 1985. The National Academy of Engineering described Trump as a pioneer in the scientific, engineering and medical applications of high-voltage machinery. James Melcher, Trump's lab director, is quoted as saying, John, over a period of three decades, would be approached by people of all sorts because he could make megavolt beams of ions and electrons, death rays. What did he do with it? Cancer research, sterilizing sludge out in Deer Island, a waste disposal facility, and all sorts of wondrous things. He didn't touch the weapon stuff. Note. Another fun fact you may have missed. He didn't touch the weapon stuff. You're right. This man seen and had access to all Tesla ideas, inventions, and James Melcher his lab director really want you to believe, Trump never touched the weapon stuff. Don't know about you. But I believe that. Just like I believe Jesus turned water into wine. Not. Well. I diverse.
Someone named Jesus could have turned water into wine because back then they made wine from water as a preserve to keep longer and travel with from going bad. So, someone could have slipped Jesus some wine instead of water. After all, they did have some trickery stuff going on back then too. Hey Jesus freaks. Don't get mad at me. And lastly, let's take a look at Trump's father, Fred Trump. The greatest man who ever lived to our 45th president, teaching him everything he knows today. Personally. I admire our 45th for saying this. I too admire my father. Okay. Fred Trump. American real estate developer, 1905-1999. Born. Frederick Christ Trump. October 11, 1905, October 11, 1905. New York City, New York, U.S. Died. June 25, 1999, June 25, 1999, aged 93. New Hyde Park, New York, U.S. Resting Place. Lutheran All-Faith Cemetery, New York City, U.S. Education. Pratt Institute. Richmond Hill High School. Occupation. Head of Elizabeth Trump and Sunco. Known for. Real estate career. Being the father of Donald Trump. Net worth. Nearly U.S. $825 million. June 1999. Spouses. Mary Ann McLeod, M. 1936. Children. Five, including. Mary Ann. And Donald. Parents. Frederick Trump and. Elizabeth Christ Trump. Relatives. C. Trump family. Frederick Christ Trump, October 11, 1905 to June 25, 1999 was a prominent real estate developer in New York City. He was the father of Donald Trump, the 45th President of the United States, and Marianne Trump Berry, a former United States Court of Appeals judge. In partnership with his mother, Elizabeth Christ Trump, he began a career in home construction and sales. Their real estate development company was incorporated as E. Trump and Son in 1927, and grew to build and manage single-family houses in Queens, barracks, and garden apartments for U.S. Navy personnel near major shipyards along the East Coast, and more than 27,000 apartments in New York City. Trump was investigated by a U.S. Senate committee for profiteering in 1954, and again by the state of New York in 1966. He made Donald the president of Trump Management Company in 1971, and they were sued by the U.S. Justice Department's Civil Rights Division for violating the Fair Housing Act in 1973. Throughout his career he contributed to local hospitals and various American nonprofit organizations. Early Life and Career Frederick Christ Trump was born in the Bronx on October 11, 1905. He was the second of three children of German Lutheran immigrants Frederick and Elizabeth Christ Trump. He had an older sister, Elizabeth Trump Walters, 1904-1961, and a younger brother, John G. Trump, 1907-1985. Trump was conceived in Bavaria, where his parents had tried unsuccessfully to re-establish residency, returning to New York upon the SS Pennsylvania on July 1, 1905. Soon after Trump's birth, the family moved to Woodhaven, Queens. When Trump was 12 years old, his father died in the 1918 flu pandemic. From 1918 to 1923, he attended Richmond Hill High School in Queens, while working as a caddy, curb whitewasher, and delivery boy. Meanwhile, Trump's mother continued the real estate business his father had begun. Interested in becoming a builder, Trump took night classes in carpentry and reading blueprints. He also studied plumbing, masonry, and electrical wiring via correspondence courses. After graduating, Trump obtained full-time work pulling wagon loads of building materials to construction sites. 
He found work as a carpenter and continued his education at Pratt Institute. Trump began construction of his first house in 1923, soon after graduating from high school. Elizabeth Trump partially financed Trump's houses, and held the business in her name because Fred had not reached the age of majority. They did business as E. Trump and Son as early as 1926, by which year, Trump had built 20 homes in Queens. The company was incorporated in 1927. On Memorial Day in 1927, over a thousand Ku Klux Klan members marched in a Queens parade to protest native-born Protestant Americans being assaulted by Roman Catholic police of New York City. Trump and six other men were arrested. All seven were referred to as, be-robed marchers in the Long Island Daily Press, Trump, detained on a charge of refusing to disperse from a parade when ordered to do so, was dismissed. Multiple newspaper articles on the incident list Trump's address, in Jamaica, Queens, which he is recorded as sharing with his mother in the 1930 census. In September 2015, Boing Boing reproduced the article, and Fred's son Donald Trump, then a candidate for President of the United States, told the New York Times, that's where my grandmother lived and my father, early on. Immediately afterwards, when asked about the 1927 story, he denied that his father had ever lived at that address, and said the arrest never happened, and, there was nobody charged. Now, here's another little fun fact, or commentary I want to highlight before we go on. On Memorial Day in 1927, over a thousand Ku Klux Klan members marched in a Queens parade to protest native-born Protestant Americans being assaulted by Roman Catholic police of New York City. Trump and six other men were arrested. All seven were referred to as be-robed marchers. So back in 1927 Trump father dressed up like a KKK member, you know the kind that used to drag blacks out their home, assault, and hang them. Marched in a parade against the Roman Catholic police of New York City because they were profiling and assaulting native-born Protestant just like today the police profile and assault native-born black folks. Although I certainly don't want to defund the police department, we do see a pattern here of legacy, racial police abuse and ties to KKK to our 45 president. But? Of course black lives don't matter. And Cadence owns, well. She thinks racism is dead or just a figment of black folks' imagination. I guess 45 really got it from his daddy, and Cadence Owens is the lost grandchild of one of the whores who worked in Frederick Trump's White Horse restaurant and in Whore House, in White Horse. Okay. Just kidding. Or not. Now, let's take a look at, Rise to Success of Fred Trump, the father of our 45th president. In 1933, in the middle of the Great Depression, Trump built one of New York City's first modern supermarkets, called Trump Market, in Woodhaven, Queens. It was modeled on Long Island's King Cullen, a self-service supermarket chain. Trump's store advertised serve yourself and save, and quickly became popular. After six months, Trump sold it to King Cullen. Around the same time, Trump and a partner acquired in federal court the mortgage servicing subsidiary of Brooklyn's J. Laren Krauss Co., which had gone bankrupt and subsequently been broken up amid charges of fraud. This gave Trump access to the titles of many properties nearing foreclosure, which he bought at low cost and sold for a profit. This and similar methods of accumulating capital quickly thrust him into the limelight as one of New York City's most successful businessmen. Personal Life Trump met his future wife Mary Ann McLeod, an immigrant from Tong, Lewis, Scotland, at a party in the mid-1930s. Trump told his mother the same evening that he had met his future wife. Trump, a Lutheran, married Mary, a Presbyterian, on January 11, 1936, at the Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church with George Arthur Budrick officiating. A wedding reception was held at the Carlisle Hotel in Manhattan. Fred and Mary Trump settled in Jamaica, Queens, and had five children, Marianne Trump Berry, 
born 1937, Fred Trump Jr., 1938 to 1981, Elizabeth Trump Grau, born 1942, Donald Trump, born 1946, and Robert Trump, born 1948. Trump was a teetotaler and an authoritarian parent, maintaining curfews and forbidding cursing, lipstick, and snacking between meals. At the end of his day, Trump would receive a report from Mary on the children's actions and, if necessary, decide upon disciplinary actions. He took his children to building sites to collect empty bottles to return for the deposits. The boys had paper routes, and when weather conditions were poor, their father would let them make their deliveries in a limousine. Trump taught Donald to be a killer, and told him you are a king. During World War II and until the 1980s, Trump denied that he spoke German and claimed that he was of Swedish origin. According to Trump's nephew, John Walter, he had a lot of Jewish tenants and it wasn't a good thing to be German in those days. Donald Trump's The Art of the Deal, 1987, falsely states that Fred Trump was the son of an immigrant from Sweden and born in New Jersey. In 1981, Trump's oldest son, Fred Jr., died at age 42 from complications due to alcoholism. According to Mary L. Trump's 2020 book Too Much and Never Enough, Fred Jr. was expected to take over his father's business, but was mocked by him for his decision to become an airline pilot. Trump dismantled Fred Jr. by devaluing and degrading every aspect of his personality and instead elevated Donald to become his favorite son and business heir. Later Career During World War II, Trump built barracks and garden apartments for U.S. Navy personnel near major shipyards along the East Coast. After the war, he expanded into middle-income housing for the families of returning veterans, building Shore Haven in Bensonhurst in 1949, and Beach Haven near Coney Island in 1950, a total of 2,700 apartments. The same year, he authored an article advertising his apartments in the real estate section of the Brooklyn Eagle which frequently featured him and his company. In 1963-64, he built Trump Village, an apartment complex in Coney Island, for $70 million. He built more than 27,000 low-income apartments and row houses in the New York area. Profiteering Investigations In early 1954, President Dwight D. Eisenhower and other federal leaders began denouncing real estate profiteers. On June 11, the New York Times included Trump on a list of 35 city builders accused of profiteering from government contracts. He and others were investigated by a U.S. Senate Banking Committee for windfall gains. Trump and his partner William Tomasello, who previously had mafia ties, were cited as examples of how profits were made by builders using the Federal Housing Administration, FHA. The two paid $34,200 for a piece of land which they rented to their corporation for $76,960 annually in a 99-year lease, so that if the apartment they built on it ever defaulted, the FHA would owe them $1.924 million. Trump and Tomasello evidently obtained loans for $3.5 million more than the Beach Haven apartments had cost. Trump argued that because he had not withdrawn the money, he had not literally pocketed the profits. He further argued that due to rising costs, he would have had to invest more than the 10% of the mortgage loan not provided by the FHA, and therefore suffer a loss if he built under those conditions. In 1966, Trump was again investigated for windfall profiteering, this time by New York State Investigation Commission. After Trump overestimated building costs sponsored by a state program, he profited $598,000 on equipment rentals in the construction of Trump Village, which was then spent on other projects. Under testimony on January 27, 1966, Trump said that he had personally done nothing wrong and praised the success of his building project. The commission called Trump a pretty shrewd character with a talent for getting every ounce of profit out of his housing project, but no indictments were made. Instead, 
tighter administration protocols and accountability in the state's housing program were called for. Sun becomes company president. Fred's son Donald joined Trump management company around 1968, and rose to become company president in 1971. In the mid-1970s, Donald received loans from his father exceeding $14 million, later claimed by Donald to have been only $1 million. This allowed Donald to enter the real estate business in Manhattan, while his father stuck to Brooklyn and Queens. It was good for me, Donald later commented. You know, being the son of somebody, it could have been competition to me. This way, I got Manhattan all to myself. Fred Trump's son Robert also worked for the company, becoming a top executive before his retirement. Civil rights suit and code violations. Minority applicants turned away from renting apartments complained to the New York City Commission on Human Rights and the Urban League, leading the League and other groups to send test applicants to Trump-owned complexes in July 1972. They concluded that whites were offered apartments, while blacks were generally steered away. Both of the aforementioned advocacy organizations then raised the issue with the Justice Department. In October 1973, the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice, DOJ, filed a civil rights suit against the Trump Organization, Fred Trump, Chair, and Donald Trump, President, for infringing the Fair Housing Act of 1968. In response, Trump attorney Roy Cohn countersued for $100 million by implicating the DOJ for allegedly false accusations. Court records showed that four landlords or rental agents confirmed that applications sent to the Trump Organization's head office for approval were coded by the race of the applicant. A rental agent who worked with the company for two weeks said that Fred Trump told him that it was absolutely against the law to discriminate, but later instructed him not to rent to blacks. The agent said he was further advised to get rid of the of blacks that were in the building by telling them cheap housing was available for them at only $500 down payment, which Trump would offer to pay himself. Trump didn't tell me where this housing was located. He advised me not to rent to persons on welfare. A consent decree between the DOJ and the Trump Organization was signed on June 10, 1975, with both sides claiming victory the Trump Organization for its perceived ability to continue denying rentals to welfare recipients, and the head of DOJ's housing division for the decree being one of the most far-reaching ever negotiated. It personally and corporately prohibited the Trumps from discriminating against any person in the sale or rental of a dwelling, and required Trump to advertise vacancies in minority papers, promote minorities to professional jobs, and list vacancies on a preferential basis. Finally, it ordered the Trumps to thoroughly acquaint themselves personally on a detailed basis with the Fair Housing Act of 1968. In early 1976, Trump was ordered by a county judge to correct code violations in a 504-unit property in Seed Pleasant, Maryland. According to the county's housing department investigator, violations included broken windows, dilapidated gutters, and missing fire extinguishers. After a court date and a series of phone calls with Trump, he was invited to the property to meet with county officials in September 1976 and arrested on site. Trump was released on $1,000 bail. Wealth and Estate Trump appeared on the initial Forbes 400 list of richest Americans in 1982 with an estimated $200 million fortune shared with his son Donald. In 1976, Trump had set up trust funds of $1 million, $4.5 million in 2019 currency, for each of his five children and three grandchildren, which paid out yearly dividends. By 1993, the siblings anticipated shares of Trump's estate amounted to $35 million each. Upon Trump's death in 1999, Trump's estate was estimated by his family at $250 million to $300 million. His will divided $20 million after taxes among his surviving children. In 2015, 
Donald Trump claimed that his father had given him a small loan of a million dollars, and the next year, said that he built that into a massive empire and paid back the loan. In October 2018, the New York Times published an expose drawing on more than 100,000 pages of tax returns and financial records from Trump's businesses, and interviews with former advisors and employees. The Times concluded that his son Donald was a millionaire by age 8, and that he had received $413 million, adjusted for inflation, from Fred's business empire over his lifetime. According to the Times, the elder Trump loaned at least $60 million to his son, who largely failed to reimburse him. Fred and Donald Trump have conducted a number of apparently fraudulent tax schemes. In 1987, when Donald's loan debt to his father exceeded $11 million, Fred invested $15.5 million in Trump Palace condominiums and sold these shares to his son for $10,000, thus masking what could be considered a hidden donation, and benefiting from a tax write-off. When an $18.4 million bond payment for Trump's castle was due in late 1990, Fred used a bookkeeper to purchase $3.5 million in casino chips, placing no bet, helping Donald avoid defaulting on his bonds. This action, illegal in New Jersey, resulted in a $65,000 fine. Donald Trump's lawyer denied the allegations of fraud and tax evasion, but divulged, President Trump had virtually no involvement whatsoever with these matters. The affairs were handled by other Trump family members who were not experts themselves and therefore relied entirely upon licensed attorneys, certified public accountants and real estate appraisers to ensure full compliance with the law. According to the expose, Fred and Mary Trump provided their children with over $1 billion, which should have been taxed at the rate of 55% for gifts and inheritances, over $550 million, but records show that only $52.2 million, about 5%, was paid 77p. Philanthropy Fred and Mary Trump supported medical charities by donating buildings. After Mary received medical care at the Jamaica Hospital Medical Center, they donated the Trump Pavilion, Fred was also a trustee of the hospital. The couple donated a two-building complex in Brooklyn as a home for functionally retarded adults and other buildings to the National Kidney Foundation of New York and New Jersey. The Cerebral Palsy Foundation of New York and New Jersey also received a building. Fred reportedly supported the Long Island Jewish Hospital and the Hospital for Special Surgery in Manhattan. The Trumps were active in the Salvation Army, the Boy Scouts of America, and the Lighthouse for the Blind. Fred also supported the Q Forest School, where his children attended and he served on the board of directors. Trump was so active in Jewish and Israeli causes that some believed that he belonged to the Jewish faith. This included donating the land for the Beach Haven Jewish Center in Flatbush, New York, supporting Israel bonds, and serving as the treasurer of an Israel benefit concert featuring American easy-listening performers. In 2018, the New York Times reported in their expose on Trump's financial records that they had found no evidence that Fred Trump made any significant, charitable donations. Later Years and Death During the 1980s, Fred Trump became friends with future Prime Minister of Israel Benjamin Netanyahu, who at the time was the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations in Manhattan. Trump and his wife were given an apartment on the 63rd, in reality the 55th, floor of their son's Trump Tower, which they rarely used. The couple remained together until Fred's death. He suffered from Alzheimer's disease for the last six years of his life, and finally fell ill with pneumonia in June 1999. He was admitted to Long Island Jewish Medical Center in New Hyde Park, where he died at age 93 on June 25th. His funeral was held at the Marble Collegiate Church, and was attended by over 600 people. His body is buried in a family plot at the Lutheran All-Faith Cemetery in Middle Village, Queens. His widow, Mary, died on August 7, 2000, in New Hyde Park, New York, at age 88. Before Trump's death, 
his lawyer had noted that the children of Fred Jr., D1981, Fred III, and Mary L. Trump, would be treated unequally because they would not receive their deceased father's share. The lawyer wrote to Trump that given the size of your estate, this is tantamount to disinheriting them. You may wish to increase their participation in your estate to avoid ill will in the future. Following Trump's death, Fred Jr.'s children contested his will in probate court, claiming that Trump had been suffering from dementia and that the will was procured by fraud and undue influence by Donald, Marianne, and Robert Trump. Legacy Folk icon Woody Guthrie was a tenant in one of Trump's apartment complexes in Brooklyn in 1950. In his unrecorded song Old Man Trump, he accused his landlord of stirring up racial hate in the blood pot of human hearts. Before becoming president, Richard Nixon corresponded with or about Trump, in a document maintained by the National Archives and Records Administration. In October 2016, in response to a Freedom of Information Act request, the FBI released a file it had on Trump. It includes a 1986 New York Daily News article on the Trump management company's campaign donations of over $350,000 to New York Mayor Ed Koch. The bureau was also possibly concerned about ties to organized crime, but much of the relevant information is redacted. In 1993, Harry Hurt III wrote in his book Lost Tycoon, The Many Lives of Donald J. Trump that he overheard Fred Trump talking about Donald and his wife Marla Maples as they departed for a flight, saying, I hope their plane crashes, because then all my problems will be solved. According to publisher Simon and Schuster, Mary L. Trump's 2020 book Too Much and Never Enough recounts the appalling way Donald, Fred Trump's favorite son, dismissed and derided him when he began to succumb to Alzheimer's. Asked by Chris Wallace if his niece's allegations hurt him, Donald responded. It hurts me more about attacking my father, not being kind to my mother. I have a mother who was like a saint. Let me just tell you, my father was I think he was the most solid person I've ever met. And he was a very good person. He was a very, very good person. He was strong but he was good. For her to say the kind of things, a psychopath, that he was a psychopath, anybody that knew Fred Trump would call him a psychopath. He was tough on me, he was tough on all of the kids. But tough in a solid sense, in a really good sense. Comedian Seth MacFarlane credits Donald Trump's fortune to his father, comparing their relationship to that of Jaden and Will Smith. Fred Willard played Trump's ghost on Jimmy Kimmel Live, <laughs> and an animated Fred Trump appears in episodes of our cartoon president. Man, let me tell you an so. episode of the 2019 nah, television daddy. series I mean, his, Watchmen his appears to depict him as a member of the Ku Klux Klan. A satirical piece of McSweeney's depicts someone who attempts man, to go back in time to kill Adolf Hitler, father, but instead but arrives at the hospital room where Fred and Mary Trump are with their newborn baby daughter. Fred Trump, he was a draft dodger. At 16 years old, but let me tell y'all something. People get people put a bad taste name off about uh, black or uh, draft dodgers, but man, let me tell you, if I had an opportunity not to fight in the war, I wouldn't go fight in the war either. Man, heck with what y'all talking about, because you don't know what people start wars for. You know, just like in the back in the day, people start wars, they go fight for the king. You fight for the king, king living high on the hog, and you down here, you ain't got no hog. You know, you eat, you know, you eating grass and vegetables and stuff. When you can grow them and what he don't take from you, and the king, the king may start a war because he don't like somebody over there. He don't like somebody over there. Took somebody else's gal, and now you you got to go fight a war. So you know by people saying that Trump grandpappy Fetty was a draft dodger. Personally, I ain't got no problem with that. That's no problem with him at sixteen years old. You know, not going to fight into a war that he probably don't even understand why those folks up there fighting. You see what I'm saying? So I ain't got no problem with that. But I would, I just admire how Frederick Trump, how this man maneuvered in business, how he was able to stay one step ahead 
of the bad things that was coming, like in the white horse, uh, the white horse fire, like some of the investments that he made, how he sidestepped. Freddie Trump was a bad dude far as business wise. He knew his thing. He knew his thing when it came to business. Now, y'all go back, y'all, let's do it again about Freddie Trump. I like Freddie Trump. I, I personally don't see nothing, nothing he did wrong. He was a businessman. This man ran hotels. He ran whorehouses. Ain't that something? The Kennedys sold drugs, bootleg drugs. And Trump, grandpappy, ran brothels. <laughs> hotels and brothels. <laughs> he was a pimp. <laughs> but he was a smart man. Ben Trump was a smart man. How, how he moved and made his investments. How he made his money. I didn't see nothing wrong you doing. And, and you can tell it's the same way Donald Trump made, uh, made his money. With information. Information keeps you one step, one step ahead of a market crash. That's all he did. He watched the market, communicated with people, had information, and he made money. 16 years old, that fella. That fella came with 16 years old. Came over here as a barber. Y'all heard it. I ain't got nothing against Trump. I, 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 I like the way Freddie Trump ran. Now, now his, now, now his daddy, Fred Trump, now, his dad, Fred Trump. Now, see, now here's the whole ironic thing about that. People today, they mad at folks uh, protesting and marching in the street because of police brutality. But Fred Trump marched in in the in the in a in a in a in a in a in a New York in a New York riot. He marched with up with a thousand of his other Ku Klux Klan members in full sheets. You know, like they just woke up and, and just put the pillowcase on their head and cut the eyes out. He walking down the street protesting against the Catholic police who was beating Protestants. Ain't that something? Y'all won't act like police abuse is something new. Police abuse ain't nothing new. And it's not nothing unique to a certain group of people. Police, police abuse comes in the form of uh, underprivileged folks getting beat. At that time, the Protestants, the Catholics thought they was high on the hog and they, and, and they beat up on Protestants. Now Trump, his, his dad, his dad took to the street and was marching. So why people today can't take to the street and march because of police brutalities? Y'all ready for your sibling? Like I'm telling y'all, nothing new. Trump daddy got arrested for it, and they tried to erase it out the history books when he became president. He was a Ku Klux Klan's member because he can't. He his roots was in Germany. He hated Germany. Germany, Germany kicked them out when they went back to try to apply for citizenship because his granddaddy was a draft, draft dodger. He had a bad taste in his mouth about Germany. He loved Hitler. He, he was a Nazi. He's a KKK member. You see why Trump sympathizes with KKK members. His daddy was a KKK member. His daddy marched in the street against police brutality. His daddy got arrested because of it. But, no, but nobody talks about that. Nobody remember that because y'all don't look back at the history of the man. Ain't nobody going to bring that out. Now, I'm not telling y'all nothing that y'all can't go online and look for yourself. Now, personally, myself, I ain't got nothing. I say Trump is our president, just like Obama was our president. Whoever the president is, president is good or bad, I support the president. Now, when I look at their philosophies, I, I went back and looked at Trump philosophy. I understand the way that the man he is. He don't like Germany because what Germany did his Austin's family. You know, he don't he, he he ain't highly religious. He don't like Catholics because his because his his roots are in Protestant. And the Protestants was being suppressed by the Catholics at that back at that time. 
I, I, I understand. I get it. People are shaped by their past. I'm not saying it's right. Certainly not saying it's right. But what I'm saying is that police brutality ain't nothing unique to just black folks these days. Police brutality has always been inflicted under, under class. Always. Just like at, at just like at, at, at one time, the Irish, the Irish was the police. The Irish had a big influence in the police department. And they was beating immigrants down too. You know, everybody get their turn in the bucket. Just some people stay in the bucket a little longer than other folks. So when y'all talk Trump is Trump a racist, yes, he does have racist views. He got it from his daddy because he tell you he admired his daddy. Him, him, him and his daddy was ace coon boom. He loved his daddy. And I love my daddy too. I don't see nothing wrong with admiring your daddy. Whether your daddy is right or wrong, if you admire your daddy, that's your daddy. Some of the views and philosophies he got, he got from his daddy. Now, Fred Trump was a hard worker too. Now, Fred Trump, after, now after his father died from the Spanish flu, right? That boy, he, he was a young man, about 12 years old. He couldn't run the family company, and y'all ran that. So his mama took over the company. But that little fella, that fella went to school. He learned about construction. He learned how to work with his hands. I'm talking about Trump daddy, now Fred. The Ku Klux Klansman. He learned how to work with his hands. He learned business from the ground up on how to build things. He got into the right connections with the right people to get where he's going. And he passed that along to his son. His philosophy and his Fred Trump, Trump father and his grandfather, Fred Trump, their philosophies are instilled in Trump. That's why he do the things he do and say the things he say. Now, he may not be as articulate as you like, but Trump make moves just like his Frederick did, offer information. You can't blame him. That, that's how he was raised up. Now, I know a lot of black folks going to hate me for what I'm saying is that I don't. I try to understand the man how the man is. Not that the man is right. But we all are shaped by our past. You know, Trump, Trump uncle, John Trump, he worked with Tesla. He ain't so much work with Tesla, but he, he, he was affiliated with Tesla them back in the day. Now, he examined all Tesla paper when Tesla died, but he had a big influence. He was a very intelligent man, John Trump, uh, uh, John Tesla. Very intelligent man. He wasn't no fool. He just didn't want to go into real estate with his brother. Because when his brother had different philosophies, plus real estate didn't enter him. So he contributed in other ways by working for the government and doing the things that he did. Now, now his one boss say he ain't, he didn't mess around with that war stuff, but come on, man, that man had ties with Tesla. <laughs> you come on, man. Y'all listen to yourself. I ain't like I said, y'all ain't listen to that stuff. To, go ahead and listen to that stuff for y'all self. Like I say, there's a lot of things that I when I when I listen to this thing, I, I admire about Frederick Trump, the granddaddy. I admire about Fred Trump. I see some nasty things too, but I understand where Trump get his influences from. I understand where he get it. I understand where he get his business savvy from. I understand. I understand where he gets philosophy from. Is Trump a racist? I would say, um, I would say he is about as much as racist as all of us are racist. But he is in a, but he is a, he is in a position of power. See, it's different being a racist, you know, being just an average person on the street. You know, just say if I was a racist, you know, and some people say I am a racist against my own people. I don't have no power. 
I can't influence anything. I could be a racist, but I'm just ordinary Joe. I can't influence anything. Only thing I can do out here is go out here and spot my mouth about other other people who I don't know nothing about. That's all I can do. But when you are racist and you in a position of power, now you in a, a position where you can influence laws, you can influence officials, you can kind of control people. That's the difference. I think we all racist. But when you are racist and if you and, and you in a position of power, that's where your racism becomes dangerous. That's all I got to say on that. But myself, my personal thought on Trump is that Trump is the way he is because the way that he was bred. All those influences are inside of him. Now he's in a position of power. Can you imagine if, 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 if Frederick Trump was president, the way his granddad made moves? I like the way I like the way he made moves. I like the way he made moves. Fred Trump, how Fred Trump was making moves. I like the way they made moves. They wouldn't allow black folks in those apartment buildings. But hey, is they building? Is they building? I'm like this here. If a man don't want you on his property, then why you want to give him your money to go on his property? Right? See, my thing over here, when I look out, when I look out, I remember I was on an airplane one time. They're always talking about how these cities are, 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 are over, overpopulated, which they are. Cities are only pockets of the country, real small pockets of the country. When you get on the airplane, you look down and you see how much open land there is. Then you see these one pockets, these cities, these urban cities that's just so compacted with people. Because those are where economic bases are. That's where people gather. They got to eat. They got to work. They got to do what they, they got to do. What they gotta, so they got in these big economic bases. But it's, the country is spread out. The country is a big country. Now, the thing about America is that we ain't got to have no passport to go where we want to go here. But see, but what had happened like in New York City is what happened was it was during the Industrial Revolution. A lot of uh, black folks left the South and went north. They went to places like New York. They saved a better economic opportunity. They went to places like Chicago, Detroit. It was more racism in the north than it was in the south. Because the south had dealt with it. South had you knew where a man stood in the south. You knew that man ain't like you. That man ain't hiding not liking you. You knew that. But when you go to the north, that racism was hidden. The red the racism in the south in the, in, in the north was economic racism. Development racism. Y'all ever heard of redlining? Redlining is, 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 is where, where you couldn't sell blacks uh, uh, houses or rent the blacks in certain areas. Y'all look up redlining. I may do a little, little talk on redlining. You, you had credit, credit raises. Credit raises was always what was established to exclude people from buying things, especially minorities. You can't shop here if you can't afford it. You can't buy this car if you can't afford it. We can't, we can't say we ain't going to sell it to you because of the color of your skin. We can't sell it to you because you know what? You ain't got no good credit. All these things was put in place to suppress people. 
And when Trump daddy wouldn't rent his place out, you know what I said? I got to live here anyway. I'll find somewhere to live. I ain't got to stay here. Keep your place. I'm not going to force a man to make a man give me his stuff when he don't want to give me his stuff. I'm not going to do it. The thing that always would always amaze now, I said I wasn't getting off into no little rant. But what always amazed me about real estate is this. Because like I told y'all, I grows up down there in Louisiana. When I look out at real estate, when I look out at communities, like me and me and me and my cigar bud, we talked the other day. And uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. It was uh, a guy at work by the name of Tom. We was talking at work. You know, he's the only kind of guy I talk politics and stuff like this with. I say it's kind of amazing how people come to America and they bring their ghetto with them. The same conditions that the horrible uh, beneath the poverty line, economic, economically deprived conditions that squalor they was living in in their country. They come to America and they make America neighborhoods just like their country. They leave filth and they bring filth They bring filth with them here. They live in a rundown area where the country they come came from. Then they come here and they and and they and they live in a rundown community or they bring the community down. Like I say, people bring their ghettos with them. We're talking about like in uh, California, people from California, people from California moving to Texas. And moving to places like Colorado, and they and then they trying to change the laws in Colorado and Texas to be like California. You love California because California is a S H I T hole. California is a dump. Prices high, homeless everywhere, people defecating on the streets, everything. City governments are so liberal, they turn their head on everything. It's a dump and people leave out of California because California is too high and the living condition, the economics, everything. They leave California. I'm getting out of here. I'm moving. But then when they move to another place, they want to change that place to be like California. People bring their ghettos with them. And I look at these communities, look at some of these communities. I be saying to myself, you know, why do people... They're living in these bad communities, quote unquote. Why they always want to move out? My, they always had the philosophy. I say, instead of moving out of this community, you already got a house. It's like a lot of times the old people die and they leave their houses to these kids. And you know what the kids do with it? The kids let the house run down and then they move out when they get a little money on the other side of town. And when they move on the other side of town, in a few years, the other side of town look, 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 looks like the town, look like the side of town that they left. They got this all run down. Historical wealth and historical property. If some of these areas that's not run down, that parents died and left to their kids, if the kids would have stayed there and went to Home Depot or Lowe's and got and fixed those houses up, you can make the community where you live in a nice community. You have to move out to a community. But the problem is that who the hell wants you in their community when, when you got all this violence? When you got all this crime? When you got all this no snitching? 
When you got kids can't walk down the street. When you got these young kids running that street like wolves, who want to rent you their property? Who wants you in their property? Because where you came from, you didn't have anything nice like this. So now I'm going to rent you my place. I'm going to rent you my nice place. And, and, and in a few months or something, you're going to run it down? Or you're going to want to pay me my rent money? Think about it. I know what y'all say. Y'all may say, well, I'm talking kind of racist against black folks. I'm not just talking about black folks now. I'm talking about anybody. I'm talking about anybody, any community that think they need to move out of their community. You can make your community bad. You can increase the value in your community. All they got to do is take them boards off the windows and fix them places up. Go to Home Depot or Lowe's, put some paint on the walls, get you a new roof. Cut your grass instead of trying to barbecue and park and 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 and, and, and uh, park your nineteen seventy four car with the thirty six inch rims on in the front yard and barbecue in the front yard. You can fix your community. You can fix. You can fix where you live up, where you live at up, and increase the value in it. Where you don't have to move across town because you didn't lively up your community. But folks don't do that. Folks get a little money, they want to run on the other side of town. They want to make the other side of town look, 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 look like the town they just ran from. So I don't blame Freddie Trump, really. I don't. I'm going to tell y'all like this here. Y'all get mad at me all y'all want. If I had big old buildings, I ain't renting to you either. I'm going to check your credit rating. I'm going to check your credit rating. And your credit rating is high enough to get in like, like where I live. Like where I live in this nice community. Do you think I want people section eight living living in my community where I'm paying all this money at? Do you think you do? Do you think you, you think the gentleman who 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 who, who, uh, who fixed this place up, who beautifully model uh, remodeled this place? Do you think he want to rent this place to somebody on section eight? Do you think he want to rent? Do you think he want to rent this place to somebody on government subsidies? How do you think this place is going to look? Because one thing about people is that if people don't have an, an investment in something, they ain't going to take care of it. If people ain't got no money into it, they ain't going to take care of it. That's why these people, that, that's the housing crisis. When they give people all these houses and stuff and they give it with no money down. And then the people that fall on a mortgage like it ain't nothing. Because you know what? They don't have no vested interest in it. So if I was Fred Trump back then too, I wouldn't rent to your tail either. He ain't tearing my stuff up because you can't afford it. If you're dependent on government subsidies, you can't afford it. If you can't afford it, go to Home Depot, get some paint, and fix up where you live at. <coughs> That's all I'm saying. So a lot of things that I look at just don't make no sense to me. There's no everybody wants a handout. Everybody want to live like the other man, like the rich man. Everybody want to live like them folks over there. And they own prime real estate. That's the reason why a lot of rundown communities, folks let them communities run down, people leave them houses, and then investors come in and buy up all that property. And then put up, put up nice buildings on it. And then raise the rent up high where you can't afford it. 
raise raise the uh, uh raise the um the credit rate up where you can't get into it because your credit is only five ninety five. And in order to move into this place, you got to have a, 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 a credit score better than 789. That's why people, I had an old thing when I used to flip houses called my buddy, Vince, he'd always say, you, 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 you invest in trash and you turn it to cash. You find a rundown place, you buy it for cheap. You fix it up. You make money off of it, you flip it. So when you when you when you in these communities, you, you let your community go down. Like I think I told a story one time on on other podcast podcast I was talking about uh, where I was up there in Michigan. We had the projects. Make a long story short, they tore the projects down. Right, the people living living uh, on welfare and section just tore the projects up. The police wouldn't even go in the projects, and the projects were built on a lake. Now these fools on a lake, right? On a lake apartment complex. It was nice on a lake. They ran. That place to the ground. Police went in going there, drugs, everything. Them folks got tired. An investor came, an investor came in and bought the projects. And when he bought the projects, he started shutting them down, building by building. He started shutting them down. When something went wrong, he shut it down. Shut it down, boarded up, building by board, building until he got them all out of there. He tore the projects down. No, 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 no. Why he was building it? While he was building the project, I mean, I mean, while he was shutting each unit down slowly, right? Across the water from the projects, they built a golf course, Pontiac Municipal Golf Course. They built a golf course. So you had them folks over there and white folks over there playing golf and right across the lake, you see this nasty projects. And I should tell people, do you think they gonna let them white folks play golf over there and look across the lake and see this nasty project with these, with, with, with these fools over here? You think you, you think they're gonna tolerate that? Oh, they ain't gonna tear the projects down. They can't tear the projects down. Where are we gonna go up there and tear the projects down? Where are we gonna go? I say, man, you know, they, 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 I don't know where you're gonna go, but they're gonna tear the projects down. Because they're not gonna have no people over there paying, playing golf and that water right there looking at you fools over here. Oh no. What you think happened? What they did was they, when they had that golf course there, they started building apartments on the other side of the golf course, nice apartments. I told, I told them again, I said, look, man, see the apartments over there on that golf course? They're not going to have them people spend all that money on the apartments over there and be looking all across this lake at this nasty old project. Oh, no, they ain't paying the project down. They get, where are we going to go? For one thing, people don't give a damn about where you go when they kick you out. That's your problem where you go. You grown. Okay? No, they ain't listening to me. Let me tell you something. When that last building went down, they, they tore them projects down. They tore them projects down and they built a nice big old space apartment complex on that land. And them black folks couldn't get in there. They had to go somewhere else. They didn't care where they went. Because that land is prime real estate. They put a projects on prime real estate. When your community is run down, but the people find out that that's prime real estate, prime real estate to me is, is not in a flood zone. <laughs> it's not in the flood zone or susceptible to sinkholes. Okay? When when the people find out that that uh they didn't that uh they've they been letting people on government subsidies live in these neighborhoods on prime real estate, they're gonna get you out of there. And now they start once they throw the projects down, they built the high rise, all that area, they all them houses over there, when them old people died, they took them old, they took all them old houses. 
They built all brand new two, uh, $199,000 up houses over there, the whole area. Right? Because that was all that was prime real estate. And here you is, you got these people on, on government subsidies sitting up here smoking drugs, selling drugs, and all this kind of stuff to run this place down. You got to get them out of there. I would get them out of there. I wouldn't rent to you either. Now, I wouldn't, y'all call me what you want to. I wouldn't rent to you either. You see? But my only thing I'm saying is that, you know, like Trump daddy, he, 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 he wouldn't rent to them folks. I wouldn't rent to them either. You know, is it, and then ACLU, whoever got involved, you know, they tried to ran Charlie. And I had a buddy at work who was a security guard. He was telling me that because he was in New York by the time when, when Trump and them was being sued. He was talking about, you know, how Trump sued because, you know, he wouldn't, you know, he he, 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 he wouldn't rent to minorities. How did this story? I didn't know the full story until I got into this story. And all I say is that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rent to him either. I spent this money building this building up. What 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 I what I want to let these people people into it they can't afford it, and you know what you see how those buildings are today in New York those high rises in New York those projects they they war zones they breeding ground for drugs and violence. People ain't got no morals because you know why people ain't got no morals because they ain't paying no money to live there, and they hide because the rent is going up because the rent is going up because they're trying to get them out of there. You're not paying anything. And you're not taking care. If you, if my philosophy is, if I'm not paying nothing for something, that means I got to take care of it. My place here, I got a real nice place here, and I make sure my rent paid every month. You know why? Because I want to stay here. And I don't want nobody on Section 8 living next door. I don't want the government coming in and saying, telling these people out here that, hey, you got to rent to so many low-income people. No. No. That's why as an HMO, Homeowners Association, you got to pay that. You can't pay it, you can't live out here. I don't want to go outside my front door and, and see the next old neighbor car jacked up. He don't need his car trying to fix his car jacked up. He leave it jacked up for two, three days. Open his garage door, it, it, it look it, 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 uh, it looked like Sanford and Son garage. I don't want to live next door in no mess like that. I don't want to. So y'all get mad at Trump and them, you know, I wouldn't rent to I, I wouldn't rent to them fools either. No, I wouldn't. Because, like I say, take a look at how those places look today. The people don't take care of nothing when it's given to them for free. And when they ain't got no investment in it. But look, I said I wasn't going off on no rant here. I didn't win. Almost 30 minutes, man. Look, I sure like to appreciate y'all for stopping by and taking a listen to another this little episode. Now. Y'all get a chance, like I always say, y'all go support y'all local cigar spot. You get a chance to pick up, you know, this uh, Room 101, Big Payback Maduro, or any one of the Big Payback brands. Check it out. Bye. Support your local cigar spot. Also support, if you want to build up your humidor, go online and hold some CI International, one of them, and, you know, and buy your cigars in bulk to fill up your humidor. As y'all can see, I'm kind of wind down a little bit because so much on my mind when I when I get rolling up. And I don't want to start talking too much while I start talk, talking over some subjects that I want to talk about later. You know, I don't want to get in too much redundancy. But look here, I'm going to end this little talk right straight, fast, and hurry. Like I tell y'all always, y'all take care of everybody. But more importantly, 
Y'all take care of y'all self first. All right now.